to shoot first talk later the photo shoot podcast with me robert gershenson my guest this week is joe simpson he's a london-based artist he works mainly with canvas and oil and his images are that they're so super realistic they have this cinematic flair and the people that have sat for him are people like paddy considine uh, olivia coleman matt lucas michael sheen to see the portraits that i just took of joe head to www.sftl.photos. That's shootfirsttalklater.photos. There's an S at the end. Uh, we've done the shooting. Now let's do the talking. Hello, Joe. Hello. Are you good? I'm very good, thank you. Thanks cool. for having me. How was that being photographed? You know, it was all right. I don't know what to do with my face in these situations. I feel I've got one expression that I do for photographs since I've been 13 and I've repeated it, but you know you know it's good to have one and do it well yeah it's always better than having none and doing it badly um, yeah so i'm sure that i'm sure they're gonna look great <laughs> <laughs> the bits of the studio so i guess my first point of discussion is in a digital world why oil and why canvas i, th- I think the painting still you know the painting as a medium still has a lot of relevance i think that today when images are so ubiquitous and you get bombarded by you know so many images every day on social media on digital things like that i think there's nice to have this very quiet preservation and that you give an image importance by you know painting it some of these new paintings i'm doing are taking about six weeks to paint each and i think that so much thought has gone into kind of capturing this one moment and building up the layers i really like that it is something that commands you to kind of give it more importance, the image that it's painted in that way. And something that I mentioned to you before, that of all these paintings, I mean, we're sat in your studio here, and just from this vantage point, I can see uh, the picture of, of Paddy Constantine, I can see Olivia Coleman, mm-hmm. I can see Boba Fett, a stormtrooper, yep. I can see Michael Sheen, um, Matt Lucas, and uh, about five or six of your Lego portraits. Mm-hmm. Of each of these paintings, these are the only copies in the world. That's right. They're the absolute originals. I mean, I do do limited different uh, edition prints sometimes as well, but that is, you know, a replication. They're the the original paintings. These ones will have, you know, a texture. If you you run your hand on them, there will be a texture, yes? Yeah, 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 I won't touch them, though. (laughs) No, I definitely, I, I try not to have, like, a completely smooth finish, which I think... Perhaps you don't get when you see the paintings online, you know, the reproductions. They can look more photographic because they're kind of backlit on a screen where if you see the actual, you know, painting, the way light hits it and the way layers have been built up, I think it's much more of a physical object. They're bigger than I thought they were going to be. <laughs> good, good. Well, yeah, I, I, you know, at the beginning, I, I wanted to pick a size for these actor paintings and then kind of stick to it. I like my series to kind of tie together so they all match. So I did spend a while thinking about what format and I decided to go pretty wide format. So they're 135 centimeters by 60. And uh, I wanted them to be, you know, big and feel like it makes a statement, but then not be so huge that I'd never get them finished. So the the format that you've chosen for the 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 series with the actors, it's kind of a genius ratio that you've gone for. Before I, before I kind of explain my my reasoning for that statement, just explain what the the act series was. Yeah, so it's a project that I'm working on where I'm approaching my favourite British and Irish actors. Uh, to be subjects for paintings. But I didn't want to just do a a straight portrait. I wanted to do something where they would be acting uh, and playing a character. So I asked them, what role have you always wanted to play but never got the chance? 
and then I would paint them in a scene as though they were playing that role. So something, you know, wish fulfillment, almost kind of fancy. And I think it says something interesting about that actor, what role they've chosen, you know. And who was who was the first to say yes? So the well the Paddy Considine was the first uh one I did and he chose One Flow of the Cuckoo's Nest, which like awesome movie. Um and, and and more so the movie than the book in his case that he was interested in. So mm. um You've got you've got Big Chief over there yeah, in the corner. Got the chief. I, I deliberately left out Nurse Ratchet because I thought she was such a big character on her own that that would almost be a painting in itself, you know. Um, but that asylum kind of set up and um, really trying to reinvent it so it's not just dropping, you know, a, a painting of Paddy over the top of um, Jack Nicholson so that it's an entirely new kind of reimagining. So as if they remade the film? Yeah, And exactly. he was in it. And, that, and this image would almost be like the poster, the big the big screen grab. So it's not a direct action one moment in the mm. film. It's more of an overall feeling. Like that would be the poster on the on the tube. So when you actually meet up with them, the actors, where where do you kind of start and where do you where, where do you take them to? Well, when they first uh, speak, to, you know, agree they want to do it and sort of give me a role, then I will go away and kind of research that role and I'll do a couple of sketches to kind of mock up how I see it. Then it's a matter of meeting up with them somewhere. Sometimes uh, I actually met up with Paddy there at the Rag Factory in Brick Lane, which kind of had. Uh, that kind of nice feel to it. Sometimes it, you know, it doesn't matter about the background too much. And then we'll just take photographs of them in costume, uh, no background, and then I'll go away, research, and kind of build an image up from there and turn that into a painting. So how long ago did you, did you meet Paddy? Oh, gosh, where was it? It would have been 2015. Uh, what year were you now? It would have been the end of 2014. Wow. So, okay. so quite a while. It's taking a long time, the project, for a lot of you know logistical reasons we're also doing a bit of a documentary about it so i'm filming with all the actors and doing a bit of an interview with them about why they chose the role and then charting the progress of it from doing a time lapse to then recording their reaction after so they're, they're you know it's a it's a mammoth project for me so it is taking just in terms of the time to actually do the paintings but it's taking weeks and weeks and this is something you're doing off your own back has, has it been commissioned yeah no not yet um so yeah it's very much still a passion project at the moment i'm aiming to do about 12 i've finished just finished the fifth so i'm, I'm making good progress but it's still a long way to go we've got the warwick davis one in oh there of course well. the warwick davis one i was just yeah. counting them um so who came who came second after paddy so after paddy i think the next person i met yeah was warwick davis okay um and he chose philip marlowe the film noir detective and um so you did a very sort of classic film noir kind of scene where he's in his office smoking a cigarette and having a bit of whiskey and the blinds coming, you know, a big blind shadows mm -hmm. and try and really evoke that classic kind of iconography of that, that, that genre. Um, and after that came, which one did, I'm trying to think of the order actually happened. Uh, yeah, after that was Michael Sheen. I did, uh, and he chose where the wild things are based on the Morris Sendak uh, children's book which was something totally different to the others, but a really, you know, fun way to influence that, that amazing book, which I love. I used to read that as a kid. And he said he'd pretty much played all the roles that he'd wanted to play. So, but he's obsessed with the book. He's got his own costume in LA that he wears around. So, so you know, that was a really fun one to do. It, it strikes me, I mean, the, the images, the image is pretty cool. It, it strikes me that in a weird way, if he did make that film, he wouldn't be wearing the costume that you've got him wearing. He's he's one of those actors who's an incredible shapeshifter. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. when I saw uh, Frost Nixon, 
Michael Sheen melted away and, and he was literally David Frost. Yeah, absolutely. And his um, Bowie-inspired bad guy in Tron. Yeah, yeah. Again, you don't... You, oh, he's so good. He's, he's, he is he's very good, but the costume you've got him in is literally a onesie with a, with a hood. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. <laughs> well, it was, that was a play between this and the, the film, really. I really like this Spike John's adaptation. So the actual, like, whiskers are more inspired by, like, the movie version, which is a bit more real world. But, I mean, you know, the kid from the from the story is just a kid in his bedroom and he's got this sort of wolf outfit, like this kid's outfit. So, I mean, it's odd to have him playing what would essentially be a, like a five-year-old boy, but I think that kind of makes it interesting. You know, in reality, he probably wouldn't play that, that character <laughs> as, as a small boy, but it's, but it's interesting to kind of see see him in that scene and also to you know hear his thoughts about how much he loves it. Had you seen the film before? Yeah. And you'd read the book? Yeah, yeah, I read the book as a a kid and uh, then, you know, saw the movie when it came out, which I I really enjoyed. Um, So, yeah, it's only really the the, the whiskers that were sort of the movie. Um, And who came after him? So then we got Matt Lucas, who chose um, Singing in the Rain, which is one of his, uh, yeah, favourite movies, beloved movies. He, he was said he, he might do Annie at one point, which would have been a totally different. Uh, <laughs> and he play Annie. Yeah, to be to be Annie, um, but I, I I kind of for this one just did a very classic uh, swinging on the lamppost. Um, you know, in well, the rain, the that, classic scene. Yeah, I thought it would be too obscure to do anything particularly different, um, but I kind of did a version of that where I heightened the colours and you know made it look very sort of old cinema uh, cinematography of that kind of era, that Hollywood paintings. Uh, yeah, that ties into the comment that I wanted to make. the The ratio you've picked is old school cinema. Yeah, was yeah. that was that a conscious decision? Yeah, very much so. And I think you know the even though I didn't deliberately say that these were going to be uh, just films, um, I wanted it to feel very um, cinematic, like with lots of my paintings. But just having that widescreen format is a shorthand to kind of let you know this is feeling like a movie still. Uh, you know, and obviously now that I've done that, that it's wide, I can't kind of zoom back too much, if you know what I mean. Like the, the person has to be fairly close yeah. to the conversation to make it worthwhile of doing a portrait. So in some ways it's it's limiting having that format and having to make each role kind of work like that. But I think limitations are good sometimes. Like it's quite nice to have that format and then kind of make the scene. and that You have to work, work around it. Exactly, yeah. You seem to have this incredible understanding of lighting. Possibly even better than me, <laughs> and I'm a oh, photographer. Well, well, cheers, thanks. I think I I haven't really trained like that at all, but I did, you know, studied fine art at university, and pretty much from day one, I decided that I wanted to create paintings that were referencing a lot of contemporary culture, um, and a lot of things looking at music videos or fashion shoots, and particularly film. You know, from mm-hmm. the very beginning, even looking at like a lot of painters like Edward Hopper, that very very cinematic. So I've always tried to make my my paintings have that kind of heightened, like artificial, theatrical kind of reality to them. So they're not like naturalistic. It's very stagey and it looks like this has been composed. Like, I think having that uh, stagely lit kind of implies a bit more of a story to it, that it you read into it with that language, that it looks more narrative. Has it has visuals always been a thing for you? Yeah, yeah, mass, uh, yeah. As a kid, I'd always be drawing, and I always, I, I think, I'm really drawn to, yeah, just still images. I think, even more than you know, films sometimes and things like that. That I think that can be a really 
alluring power that you only get this one moment, this one scene, and you have to kind of make up what might have come before it or after. But it's kind of the fact that it's so frozen means that it's so open to interpretation. And I think I've always kind of liked that. That, uh, yeah, just the power of the still image. So that's why I wanted to paint things that are quite representational rather than. You're kind more of abstract. going for the, the definitive image, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it more so than just trying to um, experiment with paint. Sometimes, you know, it's very much about the image. Because I, I always feel when I'm when I'm photographing someone, I always feel I've got to take the definitive image of this person. If I don't, then there's no point. I'm just adding yeah. to a pile of images that might potentially get mm. ignored. Some it's important pressure. that mine has to be the definitive, mm -hmm. which is why I was trying to fuse it so much <coughs> with character. And I guess you. And I, I guess my job is a little bit easier because regardless of how I photograph someone, it's always going to look like the person. How do you, how do you have such an understanding of, of, of someone's face that it's not, I mean, you've got, I can, you've got, I've got four pictures here, Matt Lucas, mm -hmm. Olivia Coleman, uh, Paddy Const, I can never say surname, <laughs> and Michael Sheen and four different heads, four different faces. Yeah, I, I think that's just kind of getting a likeness is just a matter of, you know, in a technical perspective, just get, trying to get proportion and things like that. But there's a lot. I definitely take photographs to serve the painting process, if that makes sense. So for me, I don't always have to get it exactly right. I'm, I can take a lot of different images and use those to kind of build up to create the painting from so I can get some a bit over light, a bit over dark and kind of use multiple images. Um so and really just the painting yeah just just after hours of just doing it you just kind of get a bit a bit more familiar with it so did you grow up in a in an arty household kind of my well my mum my was always keen to you know set arty projects we'd always be making things and things like that but both my parents were in the health service so it wasn't exactly a hippie commune or anything <laughs> like that you know maybe a little bit you're from manchester uh yeah well, i was born in lancaster moved down to cornwall for a little bit and then grew up in Cheshire, kind of around the North of Cheshire, from like about nine to, to 18. And your, your understanding of, of, I guess, the human form, just drawing things that didn't look like scribbles, was that quite a natural thing? Or were you just as crap as the rest of us and you've, <laughs> you've had to train yourself? I think, you know, I think I always had a, a bit of a natural inclination. Like I was always drawing and it was always going, you know, uh, for figures and a lot of cartoons when I was a kid um so I think you know but really just by practicing do really develop I think just what do they say it's the 10,000 hours Malcolm Gladwell where it's if you've got to be enthused about something enough and then dedicated to it to actually put the hours in so I really think even you know going to university they don't teach you that many practical painting based tips it's not like you know old classic style it's more having a studio having the time to practice and develop that's kind of what teaches you to paint i think so you you i guess you were an a-star student in art yes did all right did all right <laughs> yeah sure i think i did get a star yeah. did you not find kind of the education process restrictive i i had a really supportive uh art department at high school where they put us forward uh for the gcse like a couple of years early and then we did an a level like at the end which didn't you know count for as much we i did it another a level after again but it was good to kind of have time to be encouraged just to stay off school and do it and kind of do extra time. So um, I decided for me, it kind of worked all right. Like I, I've always had kind of a clear idea of what I wanted to do so I could just go along with it. And I think 
at university they were quite happy if somebody was into something and had a had a goal they were quite supportive i think so, so it wasn't too restrictive I don't think so. which university did you go to i was at leeds at leeds university oh okay leeds. yeah yeah what year did you graduate 2007 i want to say i okay. started my first year in Bretton hall if you know yeah, where yeah that is. but that the course relocated across to the main campus after the first year and that was leeds uni proper not the met yeah yeah okay no, university that's weird because i went yeah. to i went to leeds met yeah yeah <laughs> when did you, so we must have been there a crossover yeah how yeah, old are you you're uh 31 31 okay i'm 33 but i look 16 still <laughs> um i graduated 2005 so i went yes. there 2002 yeah yeah there would have been some crossover wow yeah, it's a good place small world yes it, yeah it's, ve- it's a very arty city yeah you've yeah. got kind of three big institutions you've got leeds met which has a film school uh leeds your one obviously has a great art department and the broadcasting department. then you've got the fashion college mm-hmm. across millennium square yeah, yeah so it's a great it's a, i guess in a weird way it's a great uh mixing pot and kind of a smaller version of london yeah yeah I've, i i really loved it i mean a, a lot of my friends seemed to leave at the end so i don't know that many people there anymore it was very much like of the moment for me that's but the so same I with me yeah i haven't been back but i'd like to go back and, and see how it's all getting on i think that's the same with all uni towns maybe yeah people i because i did a year studying abroad as well i went to toronto for a year um and then came back after that so a lot of my year group had already kind of left so ah. Um, what did you do in Toronto? Uh, the same thing. So it's just, you know, they take in some students. We take some just extended like for it. Yeah. So I went to study fine out there. But it was interesting to see how it was very different. It was much more tuition based over there. You know, you would pick modules, some of them like digital photography or, um, you know, old masters painting style. And that it felt more tuition based that you were getting some more skills. Uh, which is nice to dip into, but then I like the freedom as well of the English system where you were developing personal projects and things like that. Nostalgia plays a big part in your work, I I, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think so too, yeah. it's it, I've been trying to put down exactly what it is recently because I, I generally do different projects. So I'm doing the actors at the moment, but in the past I've done musicians. I've done... Which musicians? Um, a whole bunch. I did about 20. So I did Brandon Flowers uh, from The Killers, Paloma Faith, Jamie Cullum... Uh, Newton Faulkner, um, Maxi Jazz from Faithless, uh, Mark Ronson, lots of people. Was that a case of, again, approaching Yeah, them? it was it's very similar to this. It was kind of like an early version of the ACT project, really, where, yeah, I would just meet up with them and take different photographs and did quite a lot smaller. They're only 60 by 60 centimetres square, kind of quite head and shoulders, um, trying to make them quite classic kind of feeling, even though they were contemporary subjects that they sort of felt quite old-fashioned. Um, so I did that. So, and then I also did a bunch of paintings based on uh, a trip across America. So I normally do quite different sort of insulated projects that have a number of paintings and then do an exhibition at the end, um, which isn't necessarily typical of what all artists do. Some will have a running theme through their work and kind of connect it. So, but I think the thing that ties them together is definitely like referencing, yeah, contemporary culture, a lot of movies, music, things like that, and. And yeah, there is kind of a bit of a melancholy nostalgia to it as well. I think that's innate in the kind of stillness of Peyton's as well. I think they are cheering up a bit. Like the ones with Matt Lucas and Michael Sheen are definitely happier. I think at university they were definitely more melancholy. I think the Michael Sheen one's pretty joyous. Yeah, yeah. He's, yeah. I think because of the source material. And he's supposed to look a little like feral, you know, like a bit of a crazy kid, like the character. Where did the inspiration come to do the the Star Wars toys? Um, well, partly as a 
bit of a reason to take a break from the actors. You know, I've hit the five um, mark, and obviously it's taken well. And, and with the documentary and things like that, I thought it would be good to take a bit of a step back so I can kind of plan the next final actors and that I can, uh, well, apply for some funding, very practical kind of things and kind of apply for where the exhibition, kind of a bit of project management for that. So I wanted as well to create a smaller series that I could create much more quickly, things that were available to me rather than trying to get through agents and things like that. Um, so I'd, I'd had the idea floating around in my head for a while that it'd be interesting to sort of revisit some of the toys of my childhood because it's used to kind of rummage through and find things. So I started doing the Lego pieces. I, I've I dug through and I found these Lego guys. I thought these were really nice to paint. Um, and I started painting them and they were much quicker and, and enjoyable. Um, so I, as I often do, get a bit carried away and think, I'll do a whole series of this <laughs> and, and do an exhibition. So then I was thinking about what other toys, and obviously with the Star Wars at the moment, um, being very interesting, I, I dug up and thought, you know, it'd be good to do some Star Wars. And then I'm going to do a whole bunch of different, maybe some Ghostbusters, Jurassic Park. But Batman, it's not just like Star Wars. These are like, these are, these are like... Well, actually, that's Boba Fett, so there'll be, that'll be a 1980s figure. Yeah, yeah. This, these aren't the new ones. These no, are the classic ones. No, and it, yeah, it was important to me. I wanted to do the toys of my yeah, childhood. Things that I, you know, there was a couple of these that I didn't actually have. <laughs> I wish for film, which I wished I had. But I'm doing, yeah, all the, the older kind of vintage, same with the Lego, the older characters that I think have nostalgia, like you say. Yeah, so you've got, uh, from the five I can see, you've got Robin, Wo Robin sorry, Robin Hood, pirate a ghost i love that ghost i love the okay. lighting of the rib cage cheers cheers um a pirate and a wizard yeah and they're all they're all from like the 80s i think the wizards like early 90 maybe the, the and you were a big lego kid yeah massively yeah who wasn't um yeah so it's a lot of fun to to kind of do these but to do little still lifes of them so it's you know kind of lighting them just quite simply just sort of warm on one side cooler on the other um and I'm painting them on these canvas where you can sort of still see the linen behind. So it's, I haven't painted backgrounds for them. And yeah, why is that? Um, I, it's a, just, why did you choose the linen? Yeah. And why is there no background? <laughs> well, it was a stylistic thing. Just on the first one that I did, I thought this could be interesting to actually, this surface, and to have the contrast between that kind of natural weave and the smooth plastic kind of artificialness, I thought. And it would be nice just to have them floating. And I didn't really want to create than too much in a place, although it's nice that it makes them a bit more timeless that without a background. It um, kind of looks like they've just been left on the bedroom floor. Yeah, or I think it removes them it, from any kind of time period, you know, ooh, spinning around <laughs> looking at them. Um, they're just kind of, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, it kind of stuck, really. I liked it, so I thought I'd carry on. I was originally thinking of doing some really bright colours in the background, um, but... I kind of, yeah, just really got into this way. So these are part of an exhibition that's, that's this set? This is the plan. I haven't got a, a date or anything for it yet, but I'm planning on doing, yeah, getting enough for a small show and doing that in the summers. But I've, I've done nine Lego already, and I'm working on the seventh Star Wars. So I'm thinking about 25 paintings in total, or 25 to 30 would make a nice little show and kind of do quite a few different, not just the Lego and Star Wars, do some other, other versions. And put that on as a little event. So I kind of touched on something when when I opened up the podcast, asking in the digital world why you used oil. Do you do you feel that at any time that you would embrace kind of digital art and maybe put down the paints? No, 
you know, I never say never, but at the moment, it's certainly not the plan. I really like the the permanence, the physicality of the paint. You know, I don't think that these Lego pieces would be half as interesting if they were just like a photo kind of pasted down. I think the fact that it's been handmade and observed and kind of built up for me is what what's interesting about them. So I, I think I've got a lot that I want to do still with painting uh, that it's not really... Yeah, at the moment, I'm quite happy with that, if you know what I mean. That's the, the plan for the long term. Is collaboration important? Uh, yeah, I think I think it's just ways to keep it interesting for me, you know. Um, and certainly with the projects that I pick, you know, it's nice to have... It's a good excuse to get in touch with different subjects and kind of work with people that I'm a fan of and kind of certainly with the actors. Um, but then it's also nice to do things that, you know, don't require people sometimes. <laughs> that, that with, Like the toys are a nice, nice break of that that I can just be self-contained and, and make them. How long does each one take? Uh, the actors or the, the toys? The, the toys, how long the toys does each one take? Because I kind of, I'm doing a few at once, if you know what I mean. I've got a few on the go. But, you know, kind of about, it's, it's hard. I, I don't know. I wouldn't like to say exactly. <laughs> 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 because it changes so much as well. Sometimes things will go really well and it can be quite quick. And other times you have to go back and kind of rework it. I like that. I mean, I can see that the C the C three PO and the R two D two. I like that it's unfinished. Yeah. I like that it's and it gives it a bit of a rustic kind of feel to it. Um, I wouldn't mind just having that because yeah. I can still see your pencil lines and R two D 2s chest plate is, is incomplete. I think I think people are interested to see you know the kind of stages and that half finished kind of version, and that's something that you know I have thought about a bit in preparation for the actor paintings. I do some black and white ones that are much more unfinished and looser and things like that and you know I think there is some value to that I think after these uh, a little further down the line I would like to do some paintings that are perhaps a little bit more expressionate and uh, have more paint marks in them and perhaps a little abstract and things like that but I think for the moment I'm very much interested in that language of cinema and things like that so I think for, for what I'm trying to do especially with the actor paintings that kind of tightness of a composed kind of final piece is really what it's about so i'm sticking with that kind of style but in the future you know i do think it's interesting to to do things a little less finished show the show behind the scenes show the man behind the curtain and i do share lots of pictures of um the process and things like that because i think people do like to see it so we're currently sitting at about i guess let's say 500 years into what is usually considered modern painting okay where where is left to go what 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 worlds what what areas what uncharted territory is still left to conquer after such a vast history of of painting and different styles and movements can you still be doing something that pushes the medium forward you know that's a tough question (laughs) maybe you know i i don't know if if i thought about it in those terms too much it would be very intimidating where i think that I'm doing something that feels unique to me, you know, doing things in the style that I do. And, you know, it probably doesn't move the medium forward too much. I think there's quite a lot of artists who would be a bit more experimental who, who might be doing that. But I think I think the way that even the colours that I'm using now are kind of different to a few years ago that because of the digital printing and technology and uh, they're, they're seeming a bit more brighter and things like that, referencing kind of images that I'm looking at. So... Is that making sense? Not sure. Not sure. No, <laughs> I've got it in my head. I, I, I guess. I, mean. I guess what, if if I may be so bold, yeah. as to say, you kind of feel as long as you're 
as long as you're happy with your own work, mm. you don't feel you need to have much responsibility to the greater art world. Is that is that right? Uh, to a certain extent. I think, you know, I, I'm just trying to worry about, yeah, making my paintings. I don't worry too much about thinking about as a whole, mm. you know, uh, the painting is a, a medium and moving it forward. I think it's too grandiose a goal. <laughs> I think. But what, I think what do you think? What do you think out there in in the big wide world could move the c- could move the medium forward? Do Do you hope that you know if you, if you go down the National Portrait Gallery or or the Tate, there are certain fo- there are certain paintings which are hanging there and they're there for a reason. Have we moved past the stage now where works will be viewed? in that respect I, I think you know there's still new works yeah new works. yeah i think it's still popular as ever like you know the national portrait gallery bp portrait award is still really popular i think exhibitions are you know as popular as they ever were and i think it's maybe even more so that you know now it's be there are more images and photography and things like that that it that it still has a place you know i think it still has its relevancy um so yeah I wouldn't. I, I'm not too worried about it dying out. <laughs> <laughs> um, without being too crude, yeah. I'm assuming that business is good. It's, it's not a case that you're a struggling, dying artist. No, I. You know, it goes up and down. Like sometimes it's hard. Like this actor project. With at the moment, I'm just saving these paintings up. I did the first one a couple of years ago, and I'm building towards a show of things that I'm not selling. So that's you know when you're working on something like that. But then it's okay when I'm doing yeah things that are more sellable and you know it's getting the balance of the passion projects and the more commercial stuff that mm-hmm. people might want to hang on their wall so you know some art that i do it, it perhaps difficult or hunking that you know somebody would really have it in their house but then some smaller prints of things might be more commercial so it's it's finding that balance but you know it goes up and down like any anything well, essentially you're a freelancer yeah and london is you know very expensive <laughs> so <laughs> but uh but no yeah i would say yeah just up and down you know and you find that you're getting commissioned it's not the case if you approach people saying do you want your portrait taken yeah no i think it, generally it's going okay like it's going good like these toys have been quite popular um you know in prints and things like that and that's much more kind of commercial stuff um so yeah it's so not it's the kind originals of you're over. selling i'm se- i am selling the originals ah. and the prints yeah um, but the, a couple of people have bought some, uh, some originals and they're okay to kind of lend them out for the exhibition when it comes. So Are you okay letting your babies go? Uh, I kind of make enough of them that I kind of feel all right with it. You know, it's so obviously there's only, like, there's only one wizard you painted. Yeah. So if that one goes... A, ti- a tiny bit. Gone? A tiny bit. And uh, so what, uh, just tell me, what's the arrangement? Like the person will buy the original. Mm-hmm. Would you then say to them... I'm also, I've also got a digital copy that I'm going to put out as prints. Yeah, normally by the time the painting's for sale, I've worked out if it's going to be for prints or something like that. So, you know, you can say there's going to be 50 limited edition prints of this. Normally if somebody buys an image, they're not buying the, the copyright to the image, they're yeah. buying it as an item. So they couldn't suddenly say, I'm going to sell prints of it, you know. Um, <laughs> but so still, you have to give the original The original away, away but that, that is the job. And you oddly, know, oddly, even though... Even though I'm I'm a digital photographer, yeah. that kind of terrifies me that the the source material has gone. Yeah. I would hate to have to give up my original file. Well, yeah, I normally make sure that, that well, I like all of the paintings to have had some life in terms of being exhibited, that it's not just like leaving the studio straight to a, 
a collector that it you know it's been up and hopefully been shown and lots of people have seen it and then you know i've only got so much space so it's it's good that it's nice if they go out you know and have a home and kind of live somewhere else and somebody kind of sees that every day and so you know it's quite a nice idea that they're out in the world sometimes that not all just piled up in my studio you know so in that sense it's nice thinking them out there you know oh it terrifies me yeah 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 i guess i mean I, I even just have like panic sometimes i think i'm gonna wake up in the morning and none of my external hard drives will work and my icloud backup is yeah. gone well, that's different. If these, are, yeah, suddenly the studio burnt down, that would be a bit sadder. So yeah, everything is in one location here. Well, not everything. There's there's still a bunch of stuff. The actor stuff, yeah. I shouldn't advertise that. Should I? <laughs> <laughs> well, as long as people don't know where your studio yeah, is. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Did you ever see yourself as being a a working artist when you kind of set out on this journey? Was it ever a case of I'll give myself X amount of months or years? and then go get a nine-to-five. What is it about this that kept you going? I think I think it probably wasn't the proper plan. I, I, went, I thought I'd go to university and study fine art, and that could be a gateway into design or... Um, like graphic into design? Film. Or yeah, some, anything really. I haven't really made my mind up. Something visual, okay. but not necessarily, you know, just as an artist. But then I, I thought while I was doing it, I took it very seriously, and I created quite a lot of paintings and... Did a few exhibitions and things, and sold a few things, and and thought this is, it perhaps isn't as unrealistic an option as it could be. So I thought outside of university, I'll you know spend a year kind of putting together a show. I had this idea that I'd been mulling over where I was going to record, uh, ask different bands to record a soundtrack to a series of paintings. So I did twelve paintings, kind of based on this fictional story about a guy, and then each painting had a song written for it, and you'd have headphones beside the painting, so you'd lift that up and you would listen to the song whilst uh, looking at the painting. And I kind of thought, I'll give that a go. And um, that got some funding from the Arts Council, which was really lucky. I, it doesn't seem to be as easy anymore for that to be the case. But that was quite smooth, you know, surprisingly easy run out of the gates. And then um, it, it just kind of knocked on from there, really. And I got commissioned to do some... Um, some work for a cruise ship, a bunch of paintings that paid all right. Classy. Yeah, you know, I, it was like a year out of university though and it was a good amount of money. Yeah. And it was like, oh, actually, this is this, this is all right. I've made it. It's not been as easy since then. <laughs> but I, I kind of just always set out on the next project and kind of kept rolling with it and it hasn't really stopped from there. That's so, um, so it wasn't, no, wasn't the plan to entirely to do it. But I've kind of committed now. One thing that is, I guess is a common theme running through my podcast is how do you fight off that that negative doubtful voice yeah I, you know it, there is lots of things to doubt yourself thrown up especially you know i enter some art competition things that i'm like oh i've got a good chance with this and then you know you get ejections or or say with the documentary i thought you know there was a lot of talk we've had like meetings at the bbc and scouts and things and people like this is gonna happen and then it doesn't there's obviously constantly testing kind of stuff but um I think, you know, if you can be true to yourself and, and enjoy it and try and, you know, take solace in the, the little victories, um, then that, that kind of stops you going into a meltdown too much. What was the last little victory you had? Last little victory? I just had this, uh, the Matt Lucas painting in an exhibition. I've had quite, no, there's been quite a lot of stuff this year, actually. I was doing a bit of teaching uh, last year, a couple of days a week. Um, but now I'm back to doing full time. So just having the time to do it full time, I've, kind of quite a lot of little opportunities and things 
have come up. But certainly, yeah, Olivia Coleman came a couple of weeks ago to see the painting. That was a that was a big victory because she came really right nice. here to this room. Yeah, yeah, and she came and we filmed her reaction for the documentary. But it was really nice to yeah have that. And she was you know she's lovely. She was super enthusiastic about it. So that was like you know a little victory. I love that. It's always a it's always a danger if you're filming them and their reaction is. It's like that changing rooms moment where they hate that room. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, she hadn't seen anything of it, so I guess there was a possibility, but um, no, well, she liked it. Nobody's. I was going to say, you've been lucky that all of them. It, yeah. Well, I'd they're say, actors, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they might be convincing. But yeah, no, that hasn't come about soon. You're going to contact Disney about these Star Wars ones? <laughs> probably not. Probably not. I think. Um, yeah, they'll just go up as an exhibition. You mean in terms of like copyright and things like that? No, no, I'm just in terms of I'm a fan. Look what I did. Um, I probably wouldn't draw too much attention to it in that kind of way. I doubt they'd get on board endorsing it, but because they are kind of still lifes of, you know, these plastic figurines that are very different, I think it'll be all right. But I probably won't knock on the door. The paintings are very different, but also the the action figures kind of, they really do evoke back to a time when action figures weren't so i mean they're not super realistic no they're, Star they're Wars action figures have always been always been like three or four some of inches. them are pretty the, the like c3p and r2d2 are pretty pretty good looking the han solo one looks nothing like him no god no <laughs> <laughs> nothing like harrison ford anyway but that's part of the charm of the i'm trying to paint them with their imperfections like some you know if they've got wonky legs or scraped off paint and things like that they're very much paintings of the toys rather than so it's rather painting the of the toys as they are in 2016 yeah not yeah. when they were fresh yeah. out the packet yeah very much okay so, that's yeah. interesting yeah i want them to have a bit of a bit of life on them a bit of wear and tear you know and what else are you going to do in, in the in the toys you mentioned jurassic park before yeah i've got a friend who's got a couple of jurassic park dinosaurs like a t-rex i'm thinking quite small ones um with what? the jp on the side because they were always on the, yeah, they yeah, the jp yeah. and white printing yeah i quite like the idea of doing a few of them and they do Batman, which we seem we're a mutual fan of for my yeah. laptops. Um, who else? Maybe some Ghostbusters, although I've only got... I need to find some of those, uh, the originals. I've got a couple. But I, I think I've got a Ray knocking about at home. Yeah. I've got a couple of um, pretty good. Jurassic Park ones as well that I could lend you. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll have to dig them out. But the thing about the Jurassic Park figures was none of them looked anything like no. the, the, like, the characters. In fact, the guy, Dennis Nedry who's the guy who steals the DNA then gets eaten by the... The by chubby the, one. Yeah, the chubby one. Yeah. Thin as fuck. Really? Thin as fuck in oh. figure form. Well, he's probably a little too B-list of the <laughs> main characters to be... To be well, doing. he was quite... In terms of plot, he's but quite a couple in, of integral. The dinosaurs look like the dinosaurs. But yeah, so maybe some Ghostbusters. Who else? Maybe a He-Man. Thundercats. Thundercats, definitely. Yeah. Well, I'm, I need to look through. I've got a big... Literally went out to my grandparents and uh, there's a suitcase full of my old toys. So I've just been pulling pulling out old ones. So we'll see. Looks good. But I've got another like three Star Wars to do. Then I'm going to line them up. What are you going to do? I'm going to do Darth Vader, which I still need to borrow. I know somebody's got one. Um... Princess Leia, because I've, I've very poorly represented the females. Uh, <laughs> you got Olivia Coleman. Yeah, that's true. That's Paloma true. Faith. That, oh, I'm doing fine. Um, <laughs> and who else? Uh, Luke Skywalker. I need to do him. Obviously. Yeah, and we'll see. I might do some really small ones of some of the minor characters. Nothing from from this new Star Wars film. No, I think because kind of the idea of the project is that it's the, the vintage, the childhood kind of stuff, the nostalgia that I, um, yeah. I, I kind of like, and I like the the, the old style of them. You know. But do you not feel Force Awakens kind of 
um, banked on people's love of nostalgia. Yeah, all very much so. It's a big homage, wasn't it, to the to the New Hope? It was like watching um, the same film. Yeah, yeah. But um, I'm probably yeah probably a bit weird if I was playing with the toys. So, but I'm I'm hoping to I'm trying to get John Boyega to be a subject for for one of the actor paintings. Yeah, yeah, that'd be really cool. Um, he's and he's not me. he's from around here anyway. Yeah, yeah. He's followed me back on Twitter, so let's <laughs> let's see. We'll see. But he would be great. So that have you got be. a blue tick on Twitter? No, not yet. Annoyingly, my, oh, I shouldn't say really, but my brother, no, my brother works for a, a football agency where he gets some players verified and he got my girlfriend's band verified, but he's not been able to, to do me How yet. How do you get verified? It's a, it's a dark art. I'm not it's sure such a what. Weird, yeah. It's such a thing to say suddenly like, yes, you are now who you person. say you are. I've always been who I say I yeah, am. Yeah, they've got, they've got some sort of checklist. I don't know what it is for for artists but no it would be helpful because I think it would be easier to tweet other actors yeah. if I had one but it doesn't matter the blue tick is I guess a currency yeah oh well never mind <laughs> um, it's weird that you would bring up the kind of social media social media and I guess the, the digital side of marketing has made imagery so disposable mm. I get bands um, I shoot I shoot with bands at times um, they use my images and it goes on Instagram, it goes on, on Twitter and then within an hour everyone's moved on. Like yeah, people will yeah. go mental over, I love that image of years yeah. and years or whatever and then the fans and, and social media moves on. Does that worry you about your images that they'll have a, a quick flash of, of, of spotlight and then boom, they move on to another painter? I, I think, you know, that's part of it. I think it's, it's a u- really useful tool to kind of get more people to see them than you know by the time the painting's finished i can put it off online and you know a couple of thousand people will have seen it very quickly but yeah probably in a very disposable kind of way that's why it's still important to me to to kind of work towards an exhibition and it's so much different to see the actual paintings because of the size and the physicality that you know it's still very important for me to to actually exhibit them in real life you know but the majority of people realistically will see them online and uh you know, but I, I try not to take too much stock in it. Obviously, you know, I try to get the likes and the retweets and all that sort of stuff as everyone does. But obviously, some some paintings, you know, will catch, be very viral. Um, you know, the, I mean, the Star Wars ones, in fair, have been popular mainly off the, the credentials of, the, you know, Star Wars. Um, but I don't try and pander to it too much, you know, like do images that will work, that will be viral, you know. Some of them just, yeah, more popular than others. I don't think but you can like, plan for things to become viral. If I paint a little, That's the thing. a little kitten with a baby <laughs> <laughs> doing something funny, it would go I nuts. think the Star Wars ones, I mean, I mean, you know they're going to do great. Yeah, they've been all right. There's people yeah. our age who now have um, access to our own disposable income. So we, we have no problem spending quite large chunks on on paintings of Lego figures, Jurassic Park, Star Wars, He-Man, all those things from our childhood. Yeah. But I don't want to feel too much like I'm cashing in on, you know, something, a cheap way to mm. get people to like it. But, you know, it is more of a commercial kind of pop art kind of project. But I think because uh, the Axe project is much more conceptual and kind of, you know, difficult, then, you know, I, I kind of it's all right to do something a bit more pop yeah. for a little bit, something a bit more throwaway or a bit more, you know, but no less uh, dropping down in quality. Uh, hopefully not. Hopefully, no, I've really enjoyed doing the rest of the it's, it's been It's been fun. Well, as I said, if you want to see the portraits I took of Joe, um, you can go to www. 
sftl.photos. This is how we always end it on, on this podcast. We always end with a quiz. I thought it was going to be a song. It's, and it's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it's all about paint. Oh, God. Let's see okay. how good you are this with paint. Me. Uh, are you ready? Sure. What colour sits next to Sumptuous Plum on the Dulux colour chart? Oh, was it the um, awful aubergine? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> you can either go for the one on the left or the one on the right. Oh, what's it? Um, what, pick left or right? Yeah, I don't know anything left. Let's go left. I have no idea. Um, it's either Volcanic Red mm-hmm. or Cranberry Crunch. Let's go Cranberry Crunch. I like the sound. Well, it's tasty. both. One's on left, one's on right. Oh, right. Crunch on the left. Um, when was Microsoft Paint introduced? Ooh, 95? 85. Bloody hell. Yeah. I'm way off. Uh, only 10 years. Yeah. When was Mario Paint released? I didn't know there was such a thing. Yeah, it was on the SNES. Oh, gosh. When was that? Let's go earlier than 92. F- fucking hell, yeah. There you go. <laughs> well, I knew. Uh, so you got one point. I'm glad I got one, right? Um, question four. Paint Me Down was a song by which band? Um, mm, that sounds familiar, but... Black Eye? No. Black Keys? I don't know. It's in the 80s. Oh, God. No, go on. Tell me. Spandau Ballet. Wouldn't have got um, who was Vincenzo Perugia? I do not know. Should I? He, I guess, well, he has, he has a connection to paint and paintings. Um, did he? <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, in 1911, he stole the Mona Lisa. Um, he hid in a Fair broom cupboard. And t- this is how crappy this, 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 this story is. He hid in a broom cupboard until after hours. Snuck out and then took the painting on up his jacket. That's the plot of this movie, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and probably, they do say. I, I listened to. I think it was a Freakonomics podcast recently. Um, podcast that did say, you know, stealing art was one of the easiest ways to get high value things, even in, where you can walk up. But it's what to do with it after. Like, what do you do with it? How do you sell the Mona Lisa and not be caught? Um, he was. He was caught. And he, well, there you go. Well, it's interesting. He only got six months in prison. But he was hailed a hero in Italy because uh, the Italian art community believed that the Mona Lisa shouldn't be in France. It should be back home. There you go. I've learned something. What was his name? Cranberry Crunch. Uh, <laughs> his, name, his name was actually uh, Volcanic Red. Right. <laughs> Good. <laughs> That's the Italian nice. uh, translation. Uh, Joe, thank you so much. Oh, thanks very much. For this, is how, this is how we end it. I've been Robert Gershenson. I'm Joe Simpson. We'll shoot you later. Mm-hmm.